The voice of Husker Nation is on the air. This is Hale Varsity Radio. Insight, opinion, expertise, along with the biggest names talking Nebraska sports. Join in with the show at 402-489-1240 or 1-800-825-5865. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Schmidt and Elijah Herbel. Welcome to it. Great to be with you on a Friday. It's Hale Varsity Radio. We're presented by Currency for all your equipment financing needs. Go Currency. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal, and you can dial us up today on Hale Varsity at 489-1240. 489-1240. Toll free across the state. 1-800-825-5865. Email the show as always. Chris at Hale Varsity. Dot com and can watch the show uh, a couple of different ways to do that. The Hale Varsity YouTube channel and the Hale Varsity Radio Twitter feed at HVarsity Radio that should be up or may be up in uh, some form or fashion shortly. So we'll get to it. Loaded show. We'll spend some time with Jacob Padilla. A little bit of thoughts uh, from him on the Husker volleyball scrimmage and Husker football camp. That's coming up in hour one. Bill Dolman. NBC Sports, the pride of Fairbury, joins us in one hour. Brady Oltman's also to talk some Husker football. And then Danny Burke, Beeson Sports Network, some baseball picks for you and maybe a little early college football action, all that available for you. So it is a great time of year as high school football gets underway. Different parts of the state tonight, a little week zero action, and then week one underway as we get closer to Minnesota. We'll have comments and thoughts from Nebraska defensive coordinator, Mr. Tony, Tony White. Yeah, science is uh, his defense looks to put a hurting on the offense tomorrow. The second major scrimmage as camp comes to close tomorrow and Nebraska gets ready for Minnesota next week. Uh, with their prep and uh, attention. We'll get to some of your comments in the stream, as always. Uh, Excited to do that. And question for you, have you got your Husker gear yet? Now, I don't wear Nebraska gear. It's not because I don't like it or think it's cool. You just can't go fanboy uh, in the, uh, the, the press box. I don't wear a Nebraska hat or zip up. I don't know that I have much Nebraska stuff anymore. Growing up, yeah, absolutely. That was always the negotiation. What did I try and hit mom and dad up for when it comes to Husker gear? And when Junior was little, he was all about trying to get the, the new the new alternative jersey. And uh, he did that more times than not as the season kicked off. His favorite, I don't believe he can fit into it anymore was his Kenny Bell jersey. He'd wear that every home game. Now he just uh, latches on with buddies and finds his way into the stadium. So I catch a little bit of a break. But do you have a a prized Husker possession, be it a signed helmet, a football, or just that lucky jersey or shirt? Maybe it's your favorite koozie that says Go Big Red on it. But Elijah is is we get closer to the season actually happening. There's a run on things. We talked back to school shopping for a lot of parents and grandparents. Uh, the the Husker gear is a big part of that back to school. 
It was, and it's funny now because it's been so long, kind of like you, since I've bought Huskerier. Uh, just a, a little aside here for anyone who hasn't been a long-time listener of the show, if you're joining us for the first time as the Matt Rule era and football season gets underway, I used to work for Husker Vision down at the stadium. It, it, so you were, you were set up. It paid my way through college. Oh, yeah. I'm talking like... We got a free pair of Husker <laughs> shoes every single year, like three different polos. I have a Husker backpack at my house, and I don't use like any of it because, like, as you said, you don't want to go too fanboy. And then also, the problem at the time was that that was the same gear that all the athletes got. And like, look at me, I'm I, I didn't look like an athlete walking around campus, and I felt like the ultimate poser with like the I Husker backpack on and the shoes. Sure, go for it. So, Elijah Herbal at six foot five. Oh, like three-ish, six foot well, okay. three-ish. I'm, I'm the short guy. <laughs> so Elijah, Elijah Herbal, God, did you ever go poser? Did you ever roll into the bar, the bar, or the rail with with Husker with your Husker Vision gear on, hoping to be mistaked for? Well, he ain't a starter. <laughs> he goes and grabs the tee at well, kickoff after it's done. Did you ever try and pull the athlete card for some? gorgeous beauty to maybe pass a drink your way no no not out and about i did i can't did you wear your say. southeast jersey out uh no also no <laughs> uh i did though use that gear like everyone knows like what the gear like of the like the, the team personnel is i did use that right. gear and then my pass which was not all access but i just flash it at people and i tried to get myself everything in the stadium on game day i was like this close to meeting uh bill murray in the tunnel walk i i like an hour before kickoff i was just walking down the tunnel like like high-fiving little kids and whatnot trying to find bill murray uh never actually found him he was in the locker room and they wouldn't let me into the locker room because like that's football team person i'm like who the hell are you man they didn't let me back there but uh i always go up and go steal the media food sorry media folks i didn't have the password we don't that, but we don't need it a lot of us don't need it. i looked like i belonged so i would go take media food from there like went through all the sweets went into tom osborne's suite on game day and like saw what his uh his setup was i did use that that pass and that gear on game days frequently for my own advantage but that was it never so out you, and about okay okay so you you just were able to navigate Memorial Stadium untouched for mm-hmm. a while. I, I, I got to break it to you, and I don't know this for fact, but Bill Murray probably had a picture of you. Keep this man away from me. I, I hear Bill Murray, not to this, I don't want to get libelous here or slanderous or whatever you want to say. I've heard he's not the most welcoming celebrity to run into. And you'd think based on like all the characters he plays in movies that he'd be warm and welcoming. And apparently he's mm-hmm. just... Not that at all. he's very annoyed by anyone coming up to him in public don't and bothering bother him. Don't bother me. Yeah. Don't bother me. So it might be a blessing in disguise that I didn't get to meet Bill Murray. <laughs> oh, it would have crushed your soul. <laughs> <laughs> Elijah's there to meet his, his favorite actor and, hey, mustache, get away from me. And <laughs> then you would have you would have sobbed all the way out. Now, Junior's got a, an old throwback Kenny Bell jersey and... I have my dad's old champion sweatshirt. I didn't know they made champion sweatshirts, but uh, it took a, a a savage beating in the 70s, survived the 80s, made it to championship games in the 90s. I have that folded up, and it's at my mom and dad's house that he wore. That was his lucky sweatshirt. Or uh, we could just say it was it was his his. Uh, his beer bib for for a lot of football games. So have that and have my grandfather 
his Nebraska hat he used to always wear. So those are the the two I have, and I've I've got them uh, kept. So those are those are cool. But yeah, uh, it's maybe time to load up and, and get some Husker gear. How many folks are going to run out and buy the new uh, alternate jersey? I would be shocked if it's that many. There's been like uh, like in terms of stylistically wearing it around like. If you're going to wear that Husker jersey, you're going to be like, where'd you get this off-brand one with the blue bordering around it? Like, you have to be a, a Husker diehard to be like, oh, well, this one time back in 1923, Nebraska wore blue jerseys at home. Like, sure. you can't go wear that out and about unless it's, like, on game day. So I would venture to say it's going to do some sales, but not as well as previous jerseys have done. There's been some cool ones. Like, that That Buffalo alternate jersey is actually cool to wear around. It wasn't yeah. my favorite they wore on the field, but when I still see it out, I go, that's a good-looking jersey. I don't think you can say the same about this one. It's just a normal jersey with some some weird text on the sleeves and then the blue bordering on the numbers, which makes it look like a Chinese knockoff. Right. I mean, is it? Is, where did you get this? Uh, you know, it's like kids in war-torn countries that got items that were printed on T-shirts that never went to sale. There's, yeah. I mean, seriously, there's some kid in a third world country that has Nebraska football, 1983 national champs. Okay. Cause you know, those t-shirts went to print before, uh, the, uh, the infamous orange bowl, uh, Matthew, we put his comment up a little bit earlier, says you could have posed as a tennis player. Fair point. Uh, and Brennan, our friend from the black Hills on the trend of wearing jerseys. I think the trend of Jersey wearing is a hot topic right now. It's weird for grown adults to wear jerseys. Is it weird? I think so, but I'm not going to hate on it. Like if you as a family all go in the, uh, the wear your, your Husker jersey for the Christmas picture, I'm not going to shake my finger at it. I think there's a certain age you probably stop wearing jerseys. Oh. Uh, the, the, the exception being is if, you know, it's Jackie Robinson or something like that. That's always okay to wear. Well, I think it's almost always okay. If you're a grown man wearing like a jersey to work on like a Tuesday afternoon, get that look. That's at. a cool job you get to go to. Yeah, uh, but like on game days, yeah, wear that jersey loud and proud. Who cares? Like, are, are we are nope. we are we like kidding ourselves? Like, yeah, you're supporting the team. It's a good looking jersey. I wear soccer jerseys. I'm gonna wear a soccer jersey tomorrow morning. Tottenham's playing Manchester United. I'm gonna wear that just to show everybody that adults can wear jerseys and it's still okay. Kind of like my Nikola Jokic jersey or my Kale McCarr jersey or my Von Miller jersey. All of which you're I'm not worn on you're the not air. in your thirties yet. You're all right. Let's dive in. We touched on this before we said goodbye, and we got into ceiling and floor. That discussion, best case, worst case scenario. And we talked a little bit about Alabama, LSU, Wisconsin, Iowa, Michigan. Well, why don't we settle in on Nebraska and and get serious for a moment? Interested in your feedback as well, 489-1240, or the stream with the Hale Varsity YouTube channel. Okay, the best case, worst case scenario. I think the worst case scenario for Nebraska record wise is is five and seven and that kind of follows on the heels of where you had bill conley putting nebraska at with the uh the algorithms the simulations and nebraska's at a 5.6 win number after preseason after spring and right before kickoff happens uh, Conley puts his projections and predictions out. Uh, 
So, listen, five and, and seven would hurt a little bit because you've seen so many of those. I'll say this, and I want your take, Elijah, before I get to, to best case. If you go five and seven and you're Nebraska, do you feel dejected and deflated? Probably. It's not anything close to one and 11 or two and 10 like previous year ones. You've had a little bit more, I think, optimism in some of the, the comments Matt Rules made. This, this team's closer to a year two is what he has said a couple of different times. So you fast forward to at least a six and a six, right? You get bowling. I think that that should be a worst case scenario. You should be six and six. You go bowling and then you reset for a really good year two. Now, I think it's fair to point out with this Nebraska team, it is – there's a lot of unknowns. You have a few elder statesmen, but you got a lot of young talent, and it is a complete makeover, not only from a culture standpoint, but also from a skill set standpoint. And and I think that is fair. This is not as talented a team. There's no Cam Taylor Britt on this football team. There's no JoJo Doman when we think of some guys that made all Big Ten. There's no Palmer, right, that we know of yet, okay? And and things could change. Guys could have really good seasons. But from a talent standpoint, you've been underwhelmed the last few seasons with four and three and five win teams that had talent on it. They were probably six, seven, or eight win football teams that severely underachieved. And you look at this year, Talent-wise, are they really that much better than a six-win football team? Well, time will tell with it, but that's my question. I think on paper, your your 2021 team, as an example, we know how that year ended, three and nine. More talent. That was a good that was a that was yeah, that was a more talented football team. I don't know if this year's team has that much talent. Yep. I think they have good players, but a far more navigatable schedule. And that's why I'm putting the floor lower than five games, Schmitty. I'm putting it at three. And that's, really? I'm talking worst case scenario. Can you not see it? Okay, Nebraska goes out there in the offense. What I look at is turnover issues with Jeff Sims' history at Georgia Tech and with how many times Nebraska put the ball on the carpet in the spring game. I worry about turnovers. Okay, game one's a turnover fest. It's game one in a new regime. You make a lot of mistakes. You, you go, lose 31 17. Yeah, you go in, in on the road and face Colorado. And you know what? Your defensive line, not deep enough. It's not up to snuff. You can't get pressure with a four-man rush. That Colorado offense has weapons. It's a question of can they generate a rushing attack and can they keep Sanders safe, but they have weapons on that offense. You can't generate a, a four-man rush and Sanders picks you apart. You're now 0-2, and, and you have two get-right games, don't get me wrong, <laughs> before Michigan comes to town, a potential national title contender who waxes you. You're now 2-3, and three, India, the most important three-game stretch of your season, Illinois, on a short week, Northwestern, Purdue. You look at that, if you have no confidence, if you're two and three with no confidence going into that three-game stretch, you're going to be lucky to get out of there one and two. That's what I'll say. I think Northwestern, you should have a win. Very fair. And then you're sitting at three and five, heading into Michigan State, Maryland, Wisconsin, and Iowa. And if you have no confidence, Northwestern's the only Power 5 victory you have on the year, you can go 0-4 in that stretch, very realistically. 
if you don't have confidence. It comes down to can Nebraska get some confidence going early in the season, but if the same issues that have plagued this team in years past in terms of tightening up in close games and what we've seen thus far in the spring game with turnovers, what we know about Jeff Sims at Georgia Tech with turnovers, it could be a snowball effect type season. I'm going to put the floor at 3-9. and nine. I'm going to qualify that. I don't think Nebraska goes 3-9. and nine. I think they do better than that. But that is my floor for this year in terms of if everything goes wrong, it's a 3-9 and nine football season you're staring at. I will dive into to my thoughts here shortly. Uh, Jacob Padilla is going to join us. Uh, I'm right at 5-7, and 6-6. Six and six. We'll get Jacob's thoughts. Hail Varsity continues, 489-1240. Also, uh, you can submit your floor or your worst-case scenario and give me your best case. And now, and now back to Hail Varsity Radio. We're presented by Currency, Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal. We say hi to Jacob Padilla at Jacob Padilla underscore. Is he is gearing up for another great season of volleyball coverage, and of course, thoughts on Nebraska football. And Jacob, we're in the midst of this discussion: uh, best case, worst case scenario. Pretty fascinating to take a look at some of the national picks with, all right, what's uh, what's reality for a Clemson and Alabama this year? Do they bounce back? Is Michigan ready for three in a row? Is it panic time in Columbus? And then we, we get local. We talk Nebraska. Elijah's worst case with a snowball effect and turnovers and injuries, maybe a three-win season. Uh that that is doable we've seen it happen before um i think right at five and seven could be you know worst case scenario for nebraska best case and i'll lay this out a little bit more next segment but i think they could get to eight or nine wins where are you at what do you think if if it's a sweet season if it's man it's sunshine and lollipops for for year one for rule how how good could it be if it's a slap of reality with turnovers and oh god the big 10 is pretty rough and tumble uh what's the worst case yeah if if the uh, the win total ends up falling short of four i think it'll just be a clear signal that the program is just cursed and that uh nothing will ever get a fix uh at, at this point because they, like their, their wins are their wins to be had there uh so long mm-hmm. as they just play not even great football just competent football. don't yeah, yeah don't don't kill yourself like we've seen this program do so many times before. Uh, there are enough toss-up games uh, in addition to the games that they should be favored in that should be able to, again, the five, six, seven range, like somewhere in that. It's probably going to end up being there. It's interesting. We wondered kind of how Rule would approach this, uh, mm-hmm. starting over with this program compared to maybe what we've seen in the past where obviously a Baylor – went super young that first year and uh, had very little success in terms of wins. Uh, and that was out of necessity because basically lost his whole roster uh, mm-hmm. and had to start completely over from scratch. The, the more we're here and it sounds like that there's not going to be a huge uh, influx of youth. Uh, it sounds like they want to try to play a lot of guys, but the, the more we hear, it seems like a lot of the veterans, the holdovers are the guys that, are kind of rising to the top. And uh, Rue even said it when he talked this week. Um, like He's not even looking at the freshman like, all right, we got to play these guys. Like, okay, if some of these guys can climb up the depth chart uh, in these last couple of weeks, 
cool. Uh, they'll have earned it. We'll put them out there. But like he feels good about the veterans at that position, despite all the turmoil that, that we've seen there. Well, so it does seem like, uh, and we're seeing all these uh, kind of the single digit jerseys. Uh, those obviously don't correlate to playing time necessarily, but you're probably going to guess that the guys at the te- the the players on the team view as the toughest guys, they're probably going to be playing a significant role. Um, so it just seems like the question is how uh, like how many of the the little things that caused them losses the last couple of years are they going to be able to clean up with rules different approach and the way they they're training and maybe some of the schematic things compared to last year because it does seem like there's going to be a lot of the same guys obviously you've got uh billy kemp is a newcomer but they've had uh, a new wide receiver one each of the last few years that have come in as a transfer um so i mean that, that won't be dramatically different than what we've seen a lot of the supporting cast the, the offensive line obviously the secondary um the, the running backs have all been here in the program it's going to be a lot of the guys that we saw we'll see We'll see a few guys, uh, maybe one or two of those young defensive linemen jump in there and uh, try to give them a spark. But um, I don't know if they're going to be relying on any of these these super young guys to come in and be difference makers right away. So it's going to be a lot of the guys that have been around the program for a while that haven't had success. So the key is how effective can everything that Rule has been telling us throughout this offseason, the approach that he's taken to the kind of the details and taking care of all the little stuff, how much ground can they make up with that? How much of the past couple of years was a lack of proper development compared to just a lack of ability? And that's what uh, the, this first year is going to tell us. Well, and, and Jacob, that's why I go three and nine with my floor. It's because the guys that you're going to be seeing out here on, on Thursday night in Minneapolis here in two weeks and the guys you're going to be seeing on Saturday all fall, it's the same guys that, you know, had seven one-score or eight one-score losses, excuse me, in 2021. It's the same guys that couldn't protect the quarterback last year. It's the same guys that have had fumbling issues during their Nebraska career. It's the same guys that turned the ball over six times in the spring game. And I know you you don't want to take all those things too seriously, for lack of a better word, just because there's a lot of development and a lot of change that can happen under year one of a coaching staff. But year one of a, a new coaching staff also tend to be years that are marred by teams that have self-inflicted mistakes shooting themselves in the foot issues with penalties and turnovers and not to go to doom and gloom here but I think there is that possibility that the wheels could fall off of this team this year and to your point I think a lot of Husker fans would think it's cursed I don't think it'd be the the end of Matt Rule at Nebraska by any means but I think that possibility is out there though it may be unlikely yeah and I guess if if we see the guys making these same mistakes early in the season I think that's when we see the all right other guys it's time for your chance to step sure. in and 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 obviously like i you're probably not going to improve uh 100 improve by mm-hmm. plugging in a true freshman for a guy that's been around a few years but at the same time um these are guys that the they were high on some of the transfers some of the guys that maybe have been in the year been in the program for a year that weren't ready to play last year maybe the, the combination of having the year under the belt and now kind of the, the new coaching and the new schemes. Maybe it lets guys like guys like a John Bullock or uh, an Omar Brown, uh, who I think talked um, today um, guys that have been in the program a little bit, but haven't necessarily been big impact players. Maybe those guys get a chance now within the new scheme. Maybe they can fill in some of the gaps uh, and help shore up some of the things that, that, that led to losses last year. So yeah, yeah it's, they're definitely, I mean, like you said, it's same guys that, 
won four games that, that can get to a bowl game. But a lot of that did seem to be coaching. And if Rule and his staff can be everything that they sound like they are and that he's shown to be in the past, you can steal a win or two. Like if you swap out what we saw last year, some different decisions, some different approaches in some, I think that would have led to another win or two in some of those situations. So I think that's kind of like, if you're looking at the optimistic side, yeah, these guys may not have won in the past, but they were close. And now maybe with a different approach, you can get them all the way there. Mm. Jacob Padilla is with us, Hale Varsity, and uh, can find him on Twitter at Jacob Padilla underscore. You just said it perfectly, and that's what we're kind of waiting to find out. Is it proper development, guys that have the ability that need to get honed and seasoned, and they can have that happen under rule versus, all right, these guys just aren't – they are what they are, right? They're, they're not going to get any better, and, and they're not good enough to, to win – some of these games, let alone get to a bowl game. That sounds harsh, but, I mean, it's really one or the other. Um, can these guys get coached up and, and geared up to, to go make some plays and be difference makers? Where are you at on Sims? When, uh, when we talk about best-case, worst-case scenario, scenario uh, with this offense and, man, the, the physical tools and abilities uh, make you smile if you're a football fan and if you're a Nebraska fan, there's also the history of trying to do too much. And it sounds or looks a lot like poor Adrian. That's my comp where he was the dude on, on a team that didn't have a lot of help. And that may sound familiar because, yeah. <laughs> you know, Adrian was, was in that situation in Lincoln uh, for, for quite a bit of his career, probably beyond his freshman year. So where do you settle in at Sims? What's your outlook like for him with uh, with what Nebraska needs from him. Yeah, that's – so if the kind of number one key, the biggest question uh, that I think will determine a lot is the offensive line, mm-hmm. then I think number two is Sims because of everything he said. He didn't win a whole lot at Georgia Tech. Uh, there was a lot of negative to go with a positive. Uh, the highlights were great. The ability is clearly there to do some special things, but just a consistent play. Um, the winning play just wasn't there over the course uh, of the long haul. And uh, that is a big question. That's the, the, the gamble that Matt Rule made when they, uh, when they uh, recruited him uh, out of the portal and kind of uh, bet, uh, put their eggs in that basket. Obviously, Casey Thompson's there, but didn't, the way it was going, decided to, to look elsewhere. Kind of seemed like the the staff put their their trust in Sims, and he became that guy kind of early on, and has been the guy throughout. Um, so th- they're betting that, yeah, that was more situation than it was player uh, in terms of his results at Georgia Tech, and th- they're hoping that within what they're trying to do, they can get the positive and cut down on the negative. Um, obviously, if the offensive line is good, I think that goes a long way towards allowing him to not having to. I think run his life every play and having to take risky throws and having to uh, kind of carry the, the load of the running game and being a true dual threat versus a guy that um, can run the offense and then hurt you with the legs when, uh, when the situation calls for it. Like that's the offensive line will determine that uh, in large part. Um, mm-hmm. They need that to be good. And then I think that's when we can see, all right, uh, if they, they don't need Sims to if they need Sims to be a superstar in year one, then I think that's when we can see some of the negative plays, the turnovers, 
the misrows and stuff that we saw at Georgia Tech. If they can give him enough help, then that's when I think they can uh, take advantage of what clearly is substantial talent. Like uh, Rule throw, has thrown out that, that praise, obviously targeted him for a reason. They saw him as a good fit for what they want to do. Um, now they have to, uh, again, put him in position to maximize his strengths and minimize his weaknesses. I have no idea. Personally, like, I'm not one that I don't have access to 12 games of uh, Jeff Sims tape from last year. I didn't go through and break down from the, the all 22. Like, all right, what, what was he seeing here? All that kind of stuff. Like I'm, I'm more or less going into it pretty blind just outside of what we heard and mm-hmm. highlights and that type of stuff. Um, and that is kind of my big question. Okay. Who is Jeff Sims and the offensive line and Jeff Sims, I think because defense, I, I think I'm, it's kind of intriguing there with the, the scheme change and whatever it is. I think they'll find a way to um, kind of be, I think they'll be solid. Um, th- they'll find a way to not necessarily like, all right, we need the offense to score 35 points a game for us to have a chance. I think the defense, well, I don't know that they're kind of like uh, the spectrum is as high from low to like where they're going to end up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they'll, they'll be solid. I, I think the offense could be all over the place mm-hmm. and the, the offensive line and, and Sims, I think will be kind of the guys uh, driving that or determining it. <laughs> Jacob, I need three minutes on the other side if we can get it to talk some volleyball. I know the uh, red-white scrimmage tomorrow. So we'll spend some time on Husker volleyball, but good football thoughts, uh, as always, from Jacob Padilla. Hail Varsity continues on a Friday presented by Currency. Hail Varsity Radio is live. Now, back to Schmitty. Schmitty's a great guy, but he don't have a brain. And Elijah. You want me to speak? When I point you, yeah. On Hail Varsity Radio. That's such a shot to the face. I don't point at Elijah to talk. I'm not Brad Pitt. He's not Jonah Hill. And you have a brain. It's, uh, it goes both ways. <laughs> well, you, we could have edited that part out. I mean, you had <laughs> old Saban killing a third teamer once upon a time. Who'd have thought? Jacob Padilla joining us here on Hail Varsity at Jacob Padilla underscore. Great stuff. Uh, check this last segment out on the podcast, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and on video, of course, with the Hail Varsity YouTube channel. Jacob, you're gearing up, man. Going to be another fun year for Coach Cook and volleyball and a lot of things to watch for for tomorrow's red-white scrimmage. Of course, Volleyball Day looms on the 30th. And what are a couple questions? I'm just going to go broad with you uh, for Nebraska volleyball. I mean, they're cream of the crop. They're, they're always expected to compete for the Big Ten and then beyond being that Final Four, that Elite Eight. I mean, that's just where this program's at. What questions are out there that, that may, may make the normal difficult this year for Coach Cook's crew? Well, the first question is who is going to start? And mm-hmm. we still don't have answers to that. Cook's maintain whether, whether it's just coach speak or he truly is uh, kind of stumped at this point about uh, who, who the best options are. Um, he, he's still not kind of given us anything about um, who's going to start at basically any position. And I think we, we know Lexi Rodriguez is going to start at Libero. Um, mm-hmm. That's pretty safe. And Laney Choboy is going to play as a defensive specialist. I think feel pretty good about that. Beyond that, even uh, Merritt Beeson at opposite hitter, they obviously was a big addition in the transfer portal after losing Whitney Lonstein. Uh, but even her, like uh, the talk of, uh, out of practices, 
And Carolyn Jervicious is giving Cook something to think about. She's been unbelievable at the net, terminating blocking-wise um, as a true freshman. So even a spot that seems like, oh, yeah, it would be pretty straightforward, there's still fierce competition there. And I was only two. you got four outside hitters. Only two of them can play starting roles. You've got three middle blockers. Only two of them can play starting roles. And you've got two setters. And the plan is to go with a one-setter offense again this year. And so only one of them can start. So the, the biggest question, and Cook even said, he, he's hoping to get competition and like somewhat even teams is what he said for the scrimmage. We'll see kind of how that plays out, whether that means he just splits it up or if he sees the second team being that competitive enough to compete with the, the, the top team like it often is where the red team or whatever is the, the projected starters and then uh, the, the white team is the, the second stringers and um, where you bring in some little help there. But um, we'll see kind of how the, the, the format is, uh, how competitive that is. He said it's going to be their first big test uh, and we'll t- tell them a lot about who those might be. Then beyond who's going to be on the court, the questions are, Serving, that, that's going to be one. They, they lost their best mm-hmm. servers from last year. I, I asked uh, Cook who has been the best server, and he said freshman Bergen Riley uh, has statistically has graded out as their best, has probably been their best setter throughout, throughout practice so far. Um, I know Merritt Beeson uh, was a pretty good server uh, for Florida last year, so you think obviously she's got a chance to be in there. Cook always says six best uh, servers are going to play. So how, how good can they be from a serving standpoint? Are you going to have some new players back there from what they have been recently? And then defense, too. Um, I, well, I guess you can assume the defense is going to be pretty good despite losing the, the best blocker in the country and the best one of the best defensive setters in the country in Nicklin Hames. Um, she, that's where she really excelled with her defense. Um, but I think they'll be solid in the back row with Lexi coming back. Laney Choboy is ready to play right away. Um, we'll see kind of which of the pins play in the back row. Talk about Beeson playing six rotations like she did in Florida, seeing which of the left sides can, can play six rotations. Um, so there's some questions there, but I think they'll be fine on that point. It's going to be the offense. And can they can they get the offense going where they haven't been able to the last couple of years? Because that really is what let them down. Jacob, before we get you out of here, we also need a quick thought on Kese Tomanaga, his performance against Rudy Gobert. Uh, in the French national team is that uh, he dropped 20 plus points. And I think Husker fans would be glad to see that, especially uh, whenever you see the, the deep three that he hit too. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, when I put together that film study last nine, kind of the stuff I was seeing from him, it didn't look like a flash in the pan. It looked like he found different ways to score. Obviously a team started to guard him a certain way and he was still able to put up 20 a game over a nine game stretch. And uh, because he's one that skilled and Two, that smart and has figured out how to get the most out of his game. So not surprised to see him doing well for his national team. Uh, I'm excited for him uh, that, that he's getting that opportunity. It's obviously a lot, of, a lot of fun to watch, a lot of fun to cheer for. And I think this will be a great experience for him coming back to Nebraska ball for next year. And one of the things I, I noticed in that highlight tape was that the French national team uh, switched Evan Fournier, former NBA player, onto Kise in the second half, and he still hit two or three threes in his face. So I think that's the ultimate yeah. sign of respect there. Well, I, I don't know that. Uh, well, maybe not the ultimate sign for, of respect, but that's that's one of your best players yeah. still for the French national well, team. I, I don't know that he's ever been known for his defense, so you have to take that with a grain of salt. <laughs> if, they, if they felt like that was their best option, then uh, that does say something about the respect that they have for him. 
Let's uh, let's get uh, Joe Dumars from '89 and, and and fix it. They had no option there. Jacob, you take care, buddy. Thanks so much, and I look forward to reading and, and following up with you on uh, the volleyball coverage tomorrow, bud. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks. There he is, Jacob Bedella, with us. Uh, good to get uh, volleyball and and football covered with him. Vic, I expect the drink when we're in Boulder, as uh, Vic has been following along the the week of the haircut. Hate to pile on. First episode I've gotten to watch that haircut. And if you're watching the stream, you've got the yikes face. Now, <laughs> it'll grow back. It will. It's I not, think it looks all right it's today. It's not bad. Like, and this is something we discussed the other day. Turn like, my head, it looks awful. My the, wife and my dogs cringe. The true still. test of a haircut, though, as we said the other day, is how does it look five days out? We're still only two days out here. So we still got some time. Come back, Vic. The Monday show. And let us know what you think. Schmidt will probably wear a hat. We're wearing a hat. We're wearing a hat. I'm going to throw a hat on for hour two, just so Dolman doesn't start elbowing me in the the face. We're talking best case, worst case scenario. And uh, Elijah laid out his. Uh, My worst case is five and seven for Nebraska. My best case is nine and three. I don't think they get to nine and three. I think they settle at six or seven. And when we talk best best case scenario elijah i think it's okay to look at uh if you get that first one if you find a way to steal one in minneapolis where you take care of the football and you are able to run the football and you ask sims to to manage and then make a play occasionally versus you're in a situation where it is you're trailing it's two minute drill and does he feel the pressure and is he prone to turnovers in those moments, right? Can can Satterfield and this offense, to what Jacob said, help him enough to ease some of that pressure and potential mistakes? And listen, it's not just piling on Sims. Quarterbacks either live or die in those moments. Not everyone's capable of being John Elway. As great as Brett Favre was, as many NFC championship games as he got to, uh, he didn't win that many of them. <laughs> he won two of them. The rest of them were pretty turnover filled. So case in point there. But if you get Minnesota, that means you probably get Colorado. You take care of the two by games. You lose to Michigan. Uh, if it's by a little or by a lot, what's your emotion like going into Illinois? Uh, that's 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 your fork in the road. You could drop two of those consecutively. You come back against Northwestern and Purdue. And then I think if you get the first one, I think you can have a three and one November again for best case scenario. And now, and now back to Hale Varsity Radio. Back with you, it's Hale Varsity Radio. We're presented by Currency for all your equipment financing needs. Go Currency. So, best case, worst case scenario, I say best case at nine wins. You get to the Big Ten title game. I am not predicting that. Uh, you beat Minnesota. You weather a tough stretch, Michigan and Illinois, and you have a three and one finish to November. I think you got clearly, obviously, you got to get again for this best case scenario. You got to quit losing to Northwestern and Purdue. Uh, you find a way to stop the Gopher, and then you defeat Maryland and Sparty that aren't the 85 bears they're beatable based on what you have and then you split with wisconsin and iowa 
I think it's too tough an ask to, to go win in Wisconsin that time of year. I think it's a tough ask to beat uh, Illinois on a short week after Michigan, however that goes. But you can't screw up your first two out of the gate. Mm. Uh, but, I, you know, I could lean and we'll in blood slash ink will fill out the old garage schedule poster before kickoff. And uh, we'll have our season predictions that way. But I could see, I could see, um, I could see seven being a really nice overachievement. And uh, you put a couple of wins uh, that are one score games, fellas, in your back pocket and, and move forward. And whenever I think about a, a best case scenario, I think like a lot of Husker fans, it, it has to start with a win against Minnesota. If you want to reach that best case scenario, not just in terms of, of the win loss record, but the confidence that that will build on a year one. If you go get it done against Minnesota, I'm with you. I think that means you have enough talent to go beat Colorado and then conversely, Northern Illinois and Louisiana tech in a best case world, you have a good showing against Michigan. That Michigan team is a national title contender for a reason. They're going to be very solid and very difficult to beat. So even in a best case scenario, you lose that game. But if you have the talent to go four and one through your first five, you at least have the talent to go two and one, if not three and oh against Illinois, Northwestern and Purdue. Those are three great litmus tests for where your program is as a whole. But in a best-case scenario, I think you should be winning at least two, if not all three of those games. Then you get into a November stretch. Like, in, in a November stretch, a best-case scenario, you're playing Maryland on a 32-degree day in Lincoln when it's windy as all hell and Maryland can't get any passing mm-hmm. attack going because you want to keep that game low-scoring. They're going to be hard to, to beat in a shootout, that Maryland football team. And then Wisconsin and Iowa, uh, I, I think you need – monumental performances from your offensive line. And, and I'm talking the type of best case scenario where Nebraska's offensive line jumps from one of the worst in the Big Ten to one of the best in the Big Ten in terms of running the football because of that effect of Donnie Ryle. Now, some of this may seem far-fetched, but that's how Nebraska reaches a best case scenario in, in terms of 9-3. and three. And I'm not willing to lock in my official record prediction for the year just yet, but some early season success, you get better as the year goes on. The offensive line finds some confidence. Uh, and with that, you're not putting the ball in risky situations. You're keeping it on the ground because you can do that, and your defense does enough from that 3-3-5 three, three, to make some splash plays and set yourself up for a short field in big moments. 9-3 and three is my best-case scenario as well, Schmitty. Well, you get an offensive line that, that helps the quarterback in a run game. I mean, good things can happen. We'll get to some of your comments. Gertie is saying, bitch, feed me. So that is what's going to happen. At, Are you allowed uh, to say that on the air? So I supposed to bleep that? No, you're good. You're just talking about the female dog, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, no. Gertie is calling me that. Well, um, they had to bleep that in the, the Husker docu-series, so I never know. Like, yeah. I went to college okay. for this, and I still don't know what I have to bleep and what I don't, aside from for, what, for, the one Forgive me word. if you're offended. I need to go feed my dog. <laughs> Bill Dolman is coming up. Hail Varsity continues. Hour 2 on the way. He's the pride of Fairbury, an average Joe. Bill Dolman, the professor. I had a 6 ACT in 1967. One time I got an A and my grandma beat me for cheating. Now with Hale Varsity Radio. <laughs> Tower 2, it's Hale Varsity Radio. We're presented by Currency for all your equipment financing needs. Go Currency. Bill Dolman in with us at Bill Dolman on Twitter. Pride of Fairbury, NBC Sports, the professor. Billy D, we did a little, uh, oh, we, Elijah, did some really nice imaging work there and hey we got a, we got an intro for you we just got to have a walk-up song <laughs> well somebody was busy in shop class over the past uh, couple of days <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> we have a new intro and an airtight bong. So, I mean, it, it, works, it works well. So, hey, uh, good to be with you. It is the season to talk prognostication. This is not in blood. It's not in ink. We've got a couple weeks yet to do that still for uh, the the number. What's Nebraska going to be at? So I want to bring up Cutter. He's in the stream. He's commented, can do so on the YouTube channel, the Hale Varsity YouTube channel. And want to get your thoughts, Bill. Want to bring Cutter's comments up here real quick. He wants to win. He's a, a big Red fan. But, you know, he says uh, record won't necessarily depict best or worst case, but it's that incremental improvement. You've heard Trev talk about it. You've touched on it uh, before and the topic of being competitive, right? Uh, now, best case to, to follow up the second part of the comment here from Cutter before we get your thoughts, Bill, he says, you know, best case, worst case, four and eight or eight and four. I'm thinking dream season, best case, you're at nine wins and in Indy saying worst case, you just miss a bowl game uh, somewhere in between lies the truth. How do you feel about this year? Well, if you ask me, the, the, the worst case scenario is that Trev Alberts takes the Ohio State athletic director job. James Franklin, James Franklin leaves Penn State for uh, Texas A&M. Matt Rule goes back to Penn State. Steve Peterson comes back as the athletic director, hires Sean Eichhorst to oversee football. And we got a triumvirate of losers who decide that they want to come back and try it for a second time. That would be the absolute worst case scenario, along with bringing out those purple alternative uniforms or the ones that look make us look like Lincoln High as a tribute to the black shirts. That's the worst case scenario. Okay, uh, so clearly you went to macro with this, <laughs> not, <laughs> not, not 2023 on it. Uh, I want you to stick you with the uh, worst no, case I, scenario. I, I don't, I don't need the connect the dots of Treb going to Ohio state, Franklin going to A&M and uh, you know, smiley Jones coming back for the sequel. Nobody wants. All right. <laughs> Dion's grabbing the Jack Daniels right at 509 Central Standard Time. Dear God. <laughs> Dear God, no. Look, uh, I'm, I'm, at a sec I'm at a second floor window here. It might take two or three attempts to get the job done uh, <laughs> if that were to happen, to be honest with you. But anyway. What are you doing, um, Bill? Using this chair to break the window so I can jump? <laughs> Uh, well, obviously, you know, look, best case scenario is uh, Nebraska goes 13-0 and uh, in the regular season and uh, wins the Big Ten championship. And, of course, 13-0, and that means winning by. Um, and uh, you, you, you go on, you win the national title. So that's the best case scenario, and that's really the way I'm leaning. Worst case scenario, 12-0-1. Okay. There's the, there's the tie that's brought back in just for Nebraska by the Big Ten Conference. <laughs> I was going to say, okay. didn't, isn't that yeah. impossible now with all the stupid two-point? Maybe it just goes for so long, the two-point conversions, that they just call the game darkness. Yep. Weather rolls in. Yep. Weather rolls in. You have to, to call it there. Yeah. So that's what that's really uh, after deep analysis. Uh, those are my thoughts on best and worst case scenarios of the 2023 season. Okay. Now, if you want to play hypothetical, uh, you know, look, uh, there's a lot. There's a lot riding on 
the uh, the Minnesota game. I think for a lot of reasons. And if it doesn't go Nebraska's way on the scoreboard, for the love of God, if it looks like this team can score from the one-yard line with four downs, then I think it's a positive step. Okay, that's the that's the nightmare that continues to replay in my mind when you're talking about Nebraska, Minnesota. When we get to Michigan State week, we'll have to have flashbacks to wayward punts. Okay, when we get to Illinois week, we'll think about the punter who ran for 48 yards on fourth down and 14. So we all have some bad memories in recent years. But I think a, a lot a lot is predicated on on how people are going to feel about the season, depending on how Nebraska looks in that season opening game. Nebraskans know football. I've been saying it forever. They know what good football looks like. They know what good effort looks like. They know that good football can have a bad result. And I think Nebraska fans can accept that. And if Nebraska goes to Minnesota and understands what they have with Jeff Sims at quarterback, with what people are perceiving to be uh I don't want to say weaknesses at wide receiver, but a lack of depth at wide receiver and some youth. Okay, and if, if you got to throw the football around, can you do that? But people do perceive that the uh, running back position is a strength. And if they do have good production out of Irvin, out of Johnson, out of Anthony Grant, and the fullback, and maybe that offensive line is able to, to, to turn you know, out 250, 300 yards, Dare I say in a losing effort, I think people would look at that Minnesota game and go, you know what, this Nebraska football team and this coaching staff, they know what they have in 2023. It is going to be dominated by the ground game. It is going to be a measured and efficient passing game. It's not going to have the big play threat that they had a year ago where you could rely on Casey Thompson when healthy to just cast it down to Trey Palmer, who might be the best rookie receiver in the NFL this year. They're not going to have that in all likelihood. Maybe the tight end position produces some big play guys. But I think we're going to know a lot about Nebraska football as to the best case scenarios against Minnesota. And if they, if it, if they look good and that defense plays an attacking, violent kind of game, see ball, hit ball, um, and they if they win, great. Uh, but if they look like they know what they're doing, they know how to play within themselves, I think people will take a lot of positives out of the, the game in Minnesota no matter what happens, and then they go kick the crap out of Colorado because apparently they don't want to fight out there. Bill Dolman with us, Hale Varsity Radio, at Bill Dolman on Twitter, the Pride of Fairbury. You know, you laid out uh, a lot of important things there with the look. And, guys, that's kind of what Nebraska fans have been yearning for for a while. And you you said it best. You can have good football and, and, a, and a bad result. But overall, that's really what's been missing um, just is the, the competency. And, and I think it's okay to – to feel like no matter what happens Thursday night, Gertie agrees um, <laughs> that that you can you can be a program and a team that that is going to work on your shortcomings and improve on your strengths and and get to a, a spot by the end of the year that you know what you can build on. You know, not only do not want to see a team that can't score from the four or the one, you know, when it's first and goal. But this team, if if they are at least doing anything and listening to Matt Rule or 
anything said in my class, you have to pay attention to detail. And how many times in some of those close games over the last several years, did we, did you see games where Nebraska, they get the ball first and it's first and 15. Mm-hmm. And then they get that first down and there's a holding penalty or there's a procedure or there's, you know, they fumble the football, uh, you know, the missed tackles, uh, lack, lack of effort in the fourth quarter. But, you know, there are so many times in those close games where Nebraska's got some momentum and they're feeling good and it looks like, you know, they got a chance. And then you, they, they kill themselves with penalties just, you know, where you're not paying attention or you're not, you don't look, sharp on a point after try you know little things like that that again speak to nebraskans who can watch a game of football and know they're not ready they're not prepared they're not paying attention right and i I think that if we see a nebraska football team in the first couple of weeks that you don't have those procedure penalties and you're starting off first and 15 or on third down and one and then it's third down and six. Or you've got a third down and eight, and you make that pass to the flat for four yards. Little things like that, you know, that just drive people crazy because that's not good football. That's not paying attention to detail. And if there's anything that Matt Rule and his staff can do is that they can make sure that those guys are at least on the right page at the right time and not setting themselves back when there's no need to at all. Bill Dolman's with us here. It's Hale Varsity Radio. And, Bill, I think kind of along with the point you just made, a lot of Husker fans over the past couple of years, they didn't think it was a necessarily a talent issue. There could have been better talent in the Husker football team, but they had enough talent to at least go bowling and be better than 3-9. and nine. So if it's not bowling, if it's less than 6-6, than six and six, it is closer to that 3-9 and nine mark this year. What does that, that tell you about where the Husker football program is at if it just kind of does prove that it is a talent issue or, or the problems within the program are deeper seated than, than something one coach can fix in one off season. Less than six and six, Elijah, I do not hear you. But, <laughs> okay. All right. That, that would be, I think that would be really disappointing because uh, look, if we're going to play the recruiting game and, and people pay so much attention to it, you know, you, you don't know what you're going to get. Right. I mean, everybody gets excited about the commitments that they get and the guys who sign. And then there's so much hope. And then you find out, you know what? That's all they really wanted was they wanted the hype, but they didn't want to deliver or they weren't coached up or they weren't coached up, whatever the case might be. But we have been led to believe that there are some really good talent in this Nebraska football program. Granted, you've got some guys who have had some injuries that have set them back. You know, Heinrich at linebacker, Fedoni at tight end. Uh, Teddy Prohaska along the offensive line, you know, maybe those have been significant enough that they have set that team back, uh, you know, in a way. But uh, if, if this team goes less than six and six and does so in a way in which they don't look like they are competent, paying attention, paying attention to detail, it will be disappointing. If it's six and six, because you're playing in a pretty tough conference and you've had some close games, it might be tough to accept, but you realize, you know what? These are growing pains and not heartbreak. And I think if we see a team that gives a lackluster performance, it'll be heartbreaking. But if it's a team that fights, comes up short, goes six and six, growing pains. And I think that that would be positive.
Bill Dolman with us. Couple minutes left. It's Hail Varsity Radio at Bill Dolman on Twitter is where you find him. The professor, NBC Sports, and we're playing best case, worst case scenario. How would you rate the West this year with everybody uh, in the league having a transfer quarterback, it feels like? I mean, you go down the, the list, it's Wisconsin, it's Nebraska, it's Iowa. Uh, it's, I take the Enders. It's, it's not Minnesota. What do you think wins the West this year? Five, six, seven? I don't know. I'm looking at some of the Big Ten, you know, conference uh, records from a year ago. Five and four, eight and five. Six and three, eight and six. Three and six, five and seven. Four and five, eight and five. Four, five, seven, six, five, four, eight, five. I mean, those and are conference records. Those are those are conference numbers and overall records. And granted, you had the outliers with Michigan going thirteen and one and nine and zero, oh, but even Purdue, who won, you know, their division six and three, eight and six. So there's a lot of teams that a year ago were teetering on some disastrous seasons, but they eke out a winning record and got to go to a bowl game. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, you, you would think that Iowa, they, they seem to be happy with who they have at quarterback and that the pressure would be on um, uh, Farron, Brian Ferentz as the offensive coordinator to be more productive offensively. But given the news off the field, again, take the unders if you're you know watching an Iowa game. Uh, <laughs> Wisconsin, do we know what we're going to have with Wisconsin? Uh, everybody seems to think, that, wow, that new, that new fangled passing game is going to work in, in Madison. Is it? Do you really know? And they've got a lot more new players than, than uh, just a new a new coach. So I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to say you know that somebody's going to challenge Nebraska for the for the West Crown, but uh, I think it's I think it's probably fairly wide open as to who could win it. Bill, before we get you out of Except here, except for Northwestern. <laughs> Fair. Uh, Bill, before we get you out of here, what's your litmus test for the season? How good this Nebraska team is going to be in terms of is this team going to be closer to the floor than the ceiling? Is it going to be Minnesota or is it going to be one of those games later in the year where Nebraska can find their footing and hit their stride a little bit? Okay, I'll play your game. I, I, I think as I look at this, I think that it is possible that Nebraska does start 4-0. Okay. okay? Uh, I don't under, understand why Minnesota is – the games have been close recently, right? So why not win that game in Minneapolis? You, yeah, and then you, you win in Colorado. You win your first two games at home. Yeah, Michigan might be kind of tough, all right? But Illinois might be kind of tough on the road. But I, I think it's entirely possible that team could be 8-2, and 7-3, and three going into its uh, final two games of the, the regular season. And that's at Wisconsin. Again, a new new team. And then you've got Iowa at home. Why not win that? So – I think Nebraska is better than 500 going into the last couple of weeks. And I don't think a bowl game is not going to a bowl game to me would be, it would be heartbreaking, you know, not growing pains. It would be heartbreaking. I think this team, if if the talent we're led to believe that it has, it should be bowl bound and with at least eight wins. Bill Dolman, Billy D will get caught up again and, Thanks for squeezing us in, and you keep that window shut, all right? <laughs> Would you like me to re- review my uh, worst-case scenario again? No, no, it's okay. No, no, Okay, no. all right. Bill, you can't fly. Uh, Brady Oldman's <laughs> coming up, Hour 2 with Hale Varsity. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Big thanks to Bill Dolman for getting Hour 1 kicked off. Brady Oldman's with us to talk some Big Red football at Brady Oldman's 
on Twitter as he joins us and can watch in the stream Hail Varsity YouTube or on the Hail Varsity Radio Twitter feed at H Varsity Radio. Brady, what's shaking? And uh, good to see you again, man. Thanks for the time. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. We're just uh, we're bracing for a very warm weekend, so we'll we'll see how that goes. Yeah, I've got uh, the water bowl outside and inside for for the pups. I'm sure your little guy Archie has been well hydrated with all the walks he's been on. Oh yeah, he and I are both uh, we're we're getting to be pretty good hydrated over here. That is that is nice. Uh, Brennan says nice lettuce. Brady, uh, as a guy who's taking it on the chin all week from my hair, at least there's a hair compliment this week. I'm very happy to pass that along. So let's get your best case, worst case scenario as we'll play this game continuing. I love what Elijah said. I have my thoughts, either nine wins or, or five wins. That's my spectrum. I'll settle somewhere within the next five days uh, with the in-blood declaration. Before we go there, though, what do you make of the narrative on Sims? Not only leading you to scrimmage to tomorrow, but just his play. There's been a lot of talk, not only from the defensive coordinator and players this week, uh, but also uh, teammates on the offensive side. There's been a lot of positives on Sims and can you see a new and different Sims year one for Nebraska versus uh, all the the talent that he has has had at Georgia Tech but some of the the, the missteps the, uh, the the turnovers can that really be fixed and fine-tuned by Nebraska this season well it's, it's certainly a big ask I mean the, the things that can stand out to you right now about Jeff Sims is he's embraced being a leader of that offense the rest of the team acknowledges him for his leadership as well as his athleticism. Uh, we heard from Omar Brown and even Tony White today. Sims is, is an incredible athlete and difficult to defend. Um, he's got a strong arm. He's got great legs. He can move around. He, he has the ceiling on him is in, incredible, especially when you consider him preparing against this defense and all that they're throwing at, at the offense in practice. He'll be prepared to take on just about anything that any opposing defense throws at them. But also, you you just wonder, they're going to need some sort of consistent running game to take the pressure off of him. At Georgia Tech, you know, he had those those turnover issues. And I think we can all be honest here and say he'll have a, a, a better supporting role at Nebraska than he did at Georgia Tech. But you're still going to want him to, to take care of the football. And I think that starts with a consistent running game some good play action or ways to get him moving, get him ways that he's not throwing directly into danger or making bad decisions. Yeah, and Brady, whenever you, you talk about that rushing attack, that's what a lot of people point to in terms of of Jeff Sims, the the upside. You know what? If uh, if you have the legs of Jeff Sims combined with the rushing attack, a better offensive line, it's going to take a lot of pressure off of Sims and what he has to do through the air, and that's what they kind of use to justify sweeping the turnover issues under the rug. And I've been there over the past couple of months. You can see that potential that, you know what, if he gets to use the legs, if he has a better rushing attack, you don't have to worry about those turnovers as much because you're not going to ask him to do as much through the year. Is that a, a reasonable place to be at two weeks before the season? Or do you think we should be talking about the turnover issues more than we are? Um, it's an interesting question because this defense and the way that they're doing things is going to be different than the other defenses that they'll face on a game-to-game -game basis. Uh, they're still getting the procedural stuff out. They're 
this offense is still inputting things, just the the sub in, sub outs, easy ways to kind of move about the offense. And you've got to think again, they had a whole spring season to do it, but it's still install. This is still a whole new system and a whole new offense coming in. And it's completely different than the Mark Whipple offense that those who were back last year, you know, it's com- it's a completely different beast for them to, to slide into. So I think there'll be some adjustments, but the overall, the thing that you want to look for, especially right away is taking care of the football and having just that, that grit and determination right off the bat. And I think that that's one thing you can uh, kind of count on from Matt rule and Marcus Satterfield's offenses. They're going to be, especially in the run game, anywhere you put it on offense, they're going to be striving and grinding for each individual yard. And I think Husker fans, that's, that's what they want to see again. Yeah. You have an emphasis on being physical. I think you can have a strength in that uh, a gap area, the two guards and center, you can have a strong between the tackles run game. You can have uh, design carries off of a read for Sims. And then also the improv where if he is flushed, he can tuck and run, or you just have an advantage because the defense is in man and he wants to just tuck and take off when it comes to a run pass option. What do you like about Satterfield? Cause he's had his praise. When you look at how, well rattler performed that a lot of that's on sims it's a different rattler than what was at oklahoma who lost his job at oklahoma so i think that needs to be mindful uh as you go into this season you've got a guy that can can make a quarterback improve and get better that being said uh, you know how, how does that that mesh work satterfield what what Rule wants what Satterfield wants, and then ultimately what they ask Sims to do. How how can that those three work together in a positive for Nebraska? Well, uh, Spencer Rattler and Jeff Sims, if you want to get really rudimentary, aren't entirely different quarterbacks. I mean, Spencer Rattler was a, a highly touted quarterback recruit, went to in Oklahoma, had all the praise. Jeff Sims was an elite eleven quarterback out of high school as well. Like he was, he was a high caliber guy that went to Georgia Tech. So there's, while they certainly have different skill sets, there's potential and there was highly developmental potential with both of them. Uh, I think, I think the big knock on Satterfield, at least at South Carolina, was just critiquing the play calling and just the way that 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 things kind of went. And Rattler did kind of underperform compared to expectations, certainly. But then when things clicked at the end of that year, they were the best offense in the country, I would argue. I mean, if you're putting up 100 combined points on two top 10 defenses, you're, you're doing pretty good. So I, I think there's also something to be said um, when asked, I believe when asked back in the winter, uh, Marcus Satterfield attributed that success late in the season to just sticking with the plan, just grinding out. You, you, you see through uh, mistakes, mental errors, and you get into like that greener pasture there where you're putting up 600 some yards on people. And I just within this Matt rule coaching staff and the way that they'd like to do things, I could definitely see more of the, the grind it out and they're going to either play conservative or play mindful of keeping the football. They want touchdowns, not field goals, but at a certain point they'll cut their losses and grind out yards where they can. And again, not put, Jeff Sims in a spot where he's going to be making some dangerous, risky throws, especially with a, a receiving core that who knows what that's going to look like in two weeks now. It's Brady Oltman's with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. And Brady, on the flip side of that question, if, if everything does go wrong for Nebraska, it's a Murphy's Law type season for that Husker offense. 
why does that happen? What What is still giving you pause with this offense in terms of the wheels could fall off, and how would that happen? Uh, part, part of it is the play calling, the play calling issues that we saw with Satterfield at South Carolina. I think part of it is the the turnover bug that follows Jeff Sims, him trying to extend and elongate plays. Uh, that The receiver core is already vastly different than what it was at the start of camp, and who knows what it's going to look like after a couple more games. The running back room, it's stout, and they could even, you know, knock on wood, they could even take, you know, a, a hit or a guy miss a game or two, and you still probably feel good about the running back room. But then you turn to the offensive line, what's that look like? It's, you know, they're already ailing, and, and they've got some guys out. I know that Coach Rule said that the pass protection was as best as it's ever been in last Saturday's scrimmage, so that's encouraging. Uh, but it's one of those things that, again, you you look at first years – First years can go a lot of ways, and one of them is certainly where things just don't click and they don't fall into place right away, especially when you're asking such a divide between a veteran group and then promising freshmen that just came in and are now adjusting the, to college ball. So it's it could really flatten out, and realistically, this team is going to lean on its defense to be uh, aggressive, to make plays, and to keep the offense in it so that they can grind other teams down and, and just find a way to win in the fourth. Two weeks out, a little less than now. Is Minnesota make or break for you for this team? I don't, I don't think it's make or break, but they can certainly, they can certainly establish themselves uh, and establish a mission, a mission statement, for lack of a better term. They they go into a, a program that's been stout, but also they've got some change. You can put your foot forward and say. Take the take the outcome out. Take wins, losses away from it. They can just deliver a message and say, this is game one. This is the Petri dish of Matt Rule at Nebraska on a competitive platform. It's only going to grow. And if you give them an incubation time, some teams might look at that and say, this is, you know, this is the, your new power and whatever the Big Ten looks like in two years, you know, and they're going to the roads go through Eugene and Seattle and, and everything when it comes back to Lincoln then. But I, I think they can feasibly they can lose, but they can they can grit and determine. And in game one, a lot of people can say that's I like the direction of that. And then, based on the next three games, they can go through those and then still be completely fine, even with a loss in week one. So I I, I say it's not make or break, but with kind of a caveat that they they just can't look lethargic and they just can't look like they're they're lost out there. Brady, is there a make-or-break game on this schedule? Is there one game that you can point to and say, above all else, this this game is must-win? Archie, Archie says what? Yeah, yeah. Archie says the one where they play the dogs. He likes the one where they're, they're playing the bulldogs. Georgia? Yeah, yeah. Don't want Bama, don't want Georgia, all right? Don't want either this year. Um, you know, I don't know if it's a make-or-break game, but realistically – I think Michigan State's one that I think you'll see a lot of a lot of what this team is made out of. It's later in the year. They don't play Michigan State often. You're not exactly sure what Mel Tucker's Michigan State looks like this year. I mean, he came guns blazing in, in East Lansing, and then last year they just couldn't do much. And I think there's certainly optimism there, but if you look at the recruiting, you look at some of the other factors at play – they're just there's not a lot of excitement. They didn't get a lot of portal guys. They didn't get a lot of new talented freshmen to step in. 
and it's in East Lansing. It's going to probably be a gross game because it's late in the year. I think that's going to be one of those where a litmus test where if you can go into East Lansing and Nebraska can find a win, I do think that that's kind of that might be a proof of concept game mm-hmm. where you you pull it out and say that's that's going to be the one that you look back in in a year and a half or two years time and say that's that's the Matt Rule uh, proof of concept game in year one. Yep. How does your November uh, start out? Uh... Comparatively speaking, Brady Oltman's with us. Find him on Twitter at Brady Oltman's. Brady, awesome to, to spend time with you. We'll, we'll get caught up again here next week. And uh, thanks for a few minutes today, bud. Appreciate you guys. We'll see you. And now. And now. Back to Hale Varsity Radio. Thanks for hanging out. Hale Varsity Radio, Friday edition, presented by Currency. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal. We. Welcome in with Beeson Sports Network, Danny Burke, Pride of Chicago. Some best bets with Danny. We can look at MLB and, of course, some NFL preseason. Danny, good to spend time with you. How are we doing? Doing good, Schmitty. How about you guys? How's it hanging? We're good. We are going through the best-case, worst-case scenario. We might need a better's eye. Uh, here before Minnesota, <laughs> no doubt, to, to get your <laughs> thoughts on this Big Ten uh, race. And, you know, uh, we have all sorts of, well, narrative. We can talk ourselves into, well, man, it could be a, a tough year one or it could be a great year one with Nebraska. So uh, we're, we're looking forward to Minneapolis and seeing how things go. What are you looking at tonight or this weekend? We'll start with some NFL. I know you like picking your spots in the preseason. Yeah, so, well, preseason week one, a little wonky to say the least. I'll tell you that much. And I think a lot of people kind of got busted up in week one trying to fit into the bill of these narratives and, you know, reading what these coaches' game plans were going to be. So I ended up a little bit down, uh, did some live bets. Did we cut off Danny? I hear something going on in the background. Pride of Chicago, are you all right? Hello? The call's still connected. Uh, Maybe I'll try to get him back on the line here. Yeah, do that. Let's uh, let's get Danny back. Maybe he went in the tunnel or something. Either that or he's at the golf course and he had to duck and cover. 489-1240, numbers to get in. Can send emails, chris at Varsity. Dot com. Uh, plenty of comments here on this best case, worst case scenario. A lot of eight wins, a lot of six wins, number of sevens. Folks believe Dion says, you know, when it comes to, to year ones, Colorado has 50 plus players that just met each other for the first time two weeks ago. How does that happen? Uh, Bill Dolman laid out a really horrible best case worst case scenario where he went uh, macro with the outlook with uh, some some names you, you don't want leaving leaving and uh, some names you don't want returning showing back up like a ghost so uh, that was very sobering to start your five o'clock hour like Steve's question he tweeted into the Hale varsity radio, Twitter handle at HVarsity Radio, and pretty good to hear from Steve again. Love his input. He was asking the Hale Varsity uh, brain smoker question of the day, his question, 
but it's worth touching on is Nebraska. Uh, offensive line, is it going to be Woodford Reserve or Gut Rot Well Whiskey? And, and I said, I won't pass on any whiskey. Is that an okay answer? Now, to Steve's credit, he went fast times at Ridgemont High with a picture. He went Phoebe Cates or Jennifer Jason Lee. And Elijah, you look perplexed there uh, with, with both references. You've seen fast times at Ridgemont High. No, well, we have Danny yeah. on the line here, but I'm listening. He's probably had that chip on your shoulder, man. I'm not quite sure what's going on. Danny is. I think it's just. Maybe still answering our first question. Should we go to Danny? I don't know. Everybody's yeah, overlooking them. So you do see slight movement toward the Chiefs at about two up to two and a half. I still think that would be worth playing either. If you want to play it safe, you know, lay a little bit more on the money line. Otherwise, I'd be fine laying any number under three with the Packers. As much as it pains me to say it, at least it's just preseason. And that may be the only time I justify betting on the Packers, guys. Daddy, we caught you mid-take because we didn't know if we still had you or not. So we got the Chiefs and we got the gut-wrenching decision with Green Bay. So thanks for the end part. I'm sure the first part was wonderful. Apologies. My long story short of it is that the Packers are seen with much to prove. If you get them under three, feel free to lay it. And yeah, the only time I'm going to be betting the Packers. You know, I, I guess... Uh, Somebody listening in who was also a Bears fan probably cut me off made a mid-sentence back in the Packers, so I can't blame him, I'll say that. It's Danny Burke with no, us here, Burke's right. Best Bets. And Danny, let's just uh, continue diving right into the football here, as uh, I think a lot of people might be looking at some preseason futures bets, and I want to get your take on if there's any value betting AFC title game winners, NFC title game winners. Whenever I look at the AFC, uh, you know that the uh, Chiefs are going to be the favorite, and uh, they are this year at plus 300. Do you see any value there? Do you see any value in the NFC in terms of long-term futures bets? Yeah, in terms of long-term, I haven't done any yet right now. But again, that doesn't mean there isn't for anybody else who's more interested. I just kind of like to see it play out a little bit. Now, I'm someone where if I lose maybe a dollar or two, but I get a better idea on it, I'm completely comfortable with that because I'm more into win totals and MVP bets right now, but if you did want to look specifically at the AFC, it's a team and then a player that I'm very high on this year would be Trevor Lawrence and the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think the AFC South is wide open for the taking for them. They will cruise within this division. You get another year for Trevor Lawrence to improve, another year under a great offensive mind in Doug Peterson. Not only do you have your same unit coming back who did exceptionally well last year, almost beat the Chiefs, uh, you also get Ridley in the mix. And their defense is not great, let's be honest. But, again, it's not like you've you got to figure they're going to get a little bit better based on what happened last year. So now that you kind of got chiseled with that adversity throughout the postseason this past season, this is their year to actually make a run at this thing. Again, yes, the Chiefs are going to be there. The Bills, uh, I guess we expect them to be there, but they've been another disappointment. I'm not as sold on the Ravens as many people are. The Bengals will be solid. Don't like the Jets. Don't like the Dolphins. I love Justin Herbert, but still Brandon Staley just doesn't know which kind of personality to take on as a head coach. The Jaguars will have a buy in the postseason because they're going to have a great record. Trevor Lawrence is going to pad his stats, and they will be set up nicely. So that's why I think 
Trevor Lawrence is 17-1 for MVP. He may not win it, but will at least be top three because of the padding of his stats and getting first in the division against weaker opponents. And you could correlate that with, hey, here's a little bit of a longer shot. Jack's 14-1 to win the AFC. It's a buy low, sell high type of thing. And if you feel a little bit timid with them going down the line, then you can sell your ticket, you can cash out, you can hedge out. Another way to just do it, but I'm telling you, when we come toward postseason time, Trevor's going to be a top MVP candidate. His number that's there right now won't be there. And same with the Jags at 14-1 to win the AFC. Danny, quickly sound, here. Did sound you, logic on Jacksonville. Sound logic there. Did you watch Hard Knocks this week? How do you feel about betting the Jets to beat the 49ers 31-21 to in the Super Bowl? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, what was it? That uh, that Oz Perlman guy. That guy's a hoot, man. He's fun to watch. But I did not watch the Hard You know what? Last year I didn't. I, I watched like one episode. I kind of gave up on it. And I'll probably try to get into it this year. It's just like it seems like there's been better seasons in the past. If it was that great, I really would have heard people persuading other people to watch it. So if you guys are telling me I should, maybe I'll go out of my way to do it. But, uh, yeah, I, I can't say that prediction is going to come to fruition. I think i got to go against that one, guys. Danny Burke with us, VEASAN Sports Network, at Danny Burke 5 on Twitter. Catch him on the VEASAN Network and, of course, the Danny Burke Podcast. Follow him at Danny Burke 5 on Twitter. Pride of Chicago, we'll do this again. Thanks for making time today. Yeah, you bet, fellas. Thanks for having me on. Enjoy your weekend. There he is, Danny Burke with us. Good to get caught up with him. We'll wind down a Friday and tell you about the weekend edition tomorrow morning on Hale Varsity. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Steven continues to tweet in not only the Phoebe Cates, Jennifer Jason Lee picture uh, in reference to the the whiskey question. Do you go Woodford or uh, Rot Gut Well Whiskey? When asking what will the offensive line be, whiskey is whiskey. Uh, (laughs) And uh, the other point of this is uh, just make sure you have the good with the bad before the bad. Right. So that's always sound advice uh, when when having beer or whiskey. Right, Elijah? Go with the good. So by the time you get to the bad, it don't matter. Well, I think it's more of a you start with the whiskey and then you move to the beer. The question is, what's going to be the beer for the Husker offense this year? You know, I mean, we've all heard the saying, right? Liquor before beer? Yeah, yeah. Liquor before beer, you're in the clear. Beer before liquor, you'll never be sicker. So that's that's the question to me is, is, is there a Husker passing game? to be that beer. What well, what is the passing game? What is the beer? I don't know. That's a, there's an interesting uh metaphor somewhere mm-hmm. in there for a Husker offense. A night of drinking compared to the Husker offense. You wake up feeling terrible the next day. There's there's something in there. I'll I'll, I'll well, work we'll on it. Of, we'll save we'll say we'll we need Cranach's input on this. You know, if we're gonna liken Nebraska's offense to a drink of choice or necessity What's it going to be for the 2023 season? Is it that 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 tequila <laughs> shot? <laughs> Is it uh, Uncle Andy's McCormick's vodka that may cause a visual impairment? Or is it a, a pretty awesome IPA if you're an IPA lover? I mean, because I, I think Mark Whipple's offense was probably a vodka lemonade whenever you think about it, you know? Tastes good going down early first quarter, but then the fourth quarter rolls around. It's not oh, working as drive. well. 
Yeah, it's, it's great. Drive that, on a hot day, baby. It that, was good. That and then, first sip then of your vodka puking. lemonade. Yeah. <laughs> then you're puking. And you're puking in the bushes about four hours later. <laughs> so that's Mark Whipple's offense is the vodka lemonade. Maybe it'll just take some time to figure out what Satterfield's offense is, what the drink is. Is it a Woodford Reserve? Is it a Boilermaker? What is it? It's a fine bourbon that, that you sip and then pow, it gets you right in the fourth quarter. You would hope. Like it, it builds. It slowly builds mm-hmm. as you're sipping throughout the game until its body blows in the fourth quarter and you're stumbling down O Street at one in the morning. Or you just have a nice, <laughs> cool buzz and it's, it's night-night time. I, I meant stumbling down O Street in a up. good way. <laughs> yeah, you, you wake up uh, and you're not hurt. So we'll be back at it tomorrow morning, weekend edition. We'll catch up with Brandon Vogel, uh, get his thoughts on Nebraska uh, football and volleyball. Uh, we'll uh, also have Mark Cranach with us. Uh, so 745 on the stream, the Hale Varsity YouTube channel, the Hale Varsity Radio Twitter feed at HVarsity Radio and the KFOR Facebook and KFOR Twitter as well. Big thanks to Jacob Bedilla. Some really good thoughts from him on uh, the Nebraska best case, worst case scenario. Bill Dolman joined us. Brady Altman's uh, checked in. And then Danny Burke from Vizen. Reminder to get buckled up. Seatbelts save lives. They prevent injuries only if properly worn. Buckle up. A message from the Nebraska Department of Highway Safety Office. Make sure you get the podcast. Spotify, iTunes, Google Play for the audio, the segments you want to hear, or the entire show for you. And again, again, all of the video portion of the show is there for you with the Hale Varsity YouTube channel. For Elijah Herbal, Chris Schmidt, back tomorrow morning, 745, with the weekend edition. Take care. A Huda Media Production.